Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Community Relations Corner. And I am your host, Michael Miller. I'm the uh, CEO, Executive Vice President and CEO of the Jewish Community Relations Council of New York, of the JCRC. And on our episodes of Community Relations Corner, we like to discuss issues of concern to our Jewish community and to our friends and partners and neighbors all over the New York metropolitan area, particularly in New York City. Um, on each episode of Community Relations Corner, we are joined by guests representing the political, religious, economic, and diverse community leadership in New York. Today, we're focusing on religious, and many of whom uh, of, of our guests I've gotten to know over my long tenure here at JCRC. And together, we're going to discuss current events, um, impacting on not only New York Jewish community, but also on our neighbors and the state of our city, the state of our state and the state of our country. And generally speaking, we dabble into the state of the world as well. Um, but before I introduce my wonderful special guest, who you can see either to the right or to the left of me um, on your screen or above or below me on the screen, um, uh, this episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsor, the Free Synagogue of Flushing, serving the Reformed Jewish community in the borough of Queens, New York, for over a century. Visit freesynagogueflushing.org for information about their Shabbat and holiday services, their weekly Sunday school, and the beautiful spaces available for public rental. Once again, it's freesynagogueflushing.org that I hope that our guest gets a chance to, to see as well, uh, since he's sitting in, in his synagogue, uh, more or less, which we'll talk about in, in, in a bit. And it's now my pleasure, my great pleasure, to introduce a wonderful longstanding friend, Pastor Gil Monrose. Uh, Pastor Monrose is sitting currently <laughs> uh, not only in the figurative sense of, of being the leader of, but physically sitting uh, in the sanctuary of Mount Zion Church um, of God Seventh Day. And I really want to give a warm hello, a warm welcome, a warm shalom uh, to, uh, to Gil Monrose, to Pastor Monrose. How are you doing today? Doing fine. Thank you. And shalom to you from the beautiful, <laughs> beautiful historic Mount Zion Church of God Seventh Day in East Flatbush. Great. So we're going to touch base on Mount Zion Church of God in East Flatbush in, in a moment. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's start off by making sure that our guests, our viewers know uh, who you are um, and how you got to where you are as the pastor of this church. Um, but you're also involved as um, a key leader of the 67th Precinct Clergy Council, uh, which is also known as the God Squad. Um, and you came originally from, we talked about this the other day, just yesterday, you came originally from the Virgin Islands. Uh, what, what's your story, Gil? Can you please, or Pastor, can you please share it uh, with our, our many viewers? Yeah, so, so thank you so much, uh, Rabbi uh, Michael Miller, for uh, years of service and friendship, uh, not only to me, but also to our congregation and to the larger community in which I serve. Uh, yes, so I, I was born on the island of St. Croix, and I grew up on the island of St. Thomas. My father was a traveling evangelist, and he went from place to place. He was born on the island of St. Lucia, West Indies. He got called into ministry uh, to St. Croix, and then he got, also got called to ministry uh, to St. Thomas. So in my family, the nine of us, 
Uh, we have uh, four that was born on the island of St. Lucia. We have another three that was born on the island of, oh, four that was born on the island, or whatever the number is, that was born on the island of St. Croix, and two, two was born on the island of St. Thomas. So our family is mixed, is blended. I, I know the immigrant story. Uh, they were undocumented coming to the Virgin Islands. And then, of course, third generation of preachers. You know, my grandfather also ministered yeah. to as well um, in St. Lucia, uh, West Indies. And so third generation of preachers. And then I moved to New York City uh, to, to take on a new challenge to help my uncle, who had moved from St. Lucia, to come to Brooklyn uh, to do ministry as well. And so <clears throat> so I, I'm, I'm here. I came to Bible school and came to actually Nyack College um, and uh, stayed and never went back home to the Virgin Islands. Got married to a beautiful young lady, Diane, um, from Jamaica and have two lovely children. And that's the story of how I got here. <laughs> okay, but, uh, and that's a, it's a wonderful story, an immigrant story, and, and all of us in, in this country, other than uh, Native Americans, uh, are immigrants of one variety <laughs> of another or another. Um, so I, I mentioned the, the God Squad. I mentioned the 67th uh, the Clergy Precinct Council. Um, can you explain to our viewers what this precinct council is and why it's called the God Squad? Yeah, so the, the, in, in the confines of the 6-7 precinct, what we were seeing as clergy members uh, about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, is that there were a high level of uh, violence shootings um, that went on, 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 on triage and untreated. And so we really got together along with the uh, then uh, police and the, the deputy inspector, Corey Piggies, and just just we talking as clergy, like how do you deal with the pain and the suffering that we see and the trauma that we see in our communities every single day uh, by the high violence? And so the 6-7 precinct, the, which is now called the God Squad, a reporter was actually doing a story on us. Uh -huh. And he said that the best way that he could describe the group of clergy members who role it is to make sure that that every shooting that we have uh, that happened in the 6-7 precinct that we want to respond to those shootings. And so he calls the God Squad. We will be out on the street occupying the corners. Uh, we'll be doing street memorials, prayer vigils, uh, providing funeral services uh, to family members uh, who have lost their loved ones to gun violence. And also we started a support group that we help the parents you know, find their voice after the pain is over, turning those pain into passion and purpose. Uh, so, so in a nutshell, the God Squad, we serve as a liaison between the cops communities and our congregation so that if there is an issue in our communities that the police definitely can refer to us and we can help navigate the complexities of dealing with the police department, dealing with our communities. Uh, so the God Squad, again, is a group of men and women uh, who are called to this particular area in East Flatbush, uh, primarily the 6-7 precinct. Which I, I, I've been on, thanks, I've been on your, your, some of your videos, some of your Zooms. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, can you share with us how many members of the God Squad there actually are, men and women? So, so, so just so you know, the, the God Squad itself, the, the, the staple of the 6-7 precinct, we have, I would say, close to 100 members. Really? Wow. And, and these are just pastors and leaders who are in the confines of the 6-7 precinct. You have to live, you have to work, or have interests to be part of the 6-7 precinct, even though we expand it, but just the 6-7 itself, mm -hmm. um, about 100 members. Wow. Um, and another dimension of, of your role as a pastor uh, and where you play that role uh, is the church itself. 
mm -hmm. um, where, where you're physically sitting at the moment. So that's not a virtual background. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a real background. As I tell people about the the books, I pull a book out of my out of out of my library. Uh, they were both uh, with real backgrounds. Real um, background. Uh, so uh, Mount Zion, uh, Church of God, Seventh Day. Uh, a lot of our viewers don't really know what the seventh day part of that actually means. Mm -hmm. So can you describe then non-theological terms, but describe to us <laughs> what, what, what seventh day is? All right, so, so it's very simple. Um, six days God created the heaven and earth, six, and on the seventh day he rested, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So on the seventh day we have our service. Not only we have our service, but the seventh day of the week, we consider this to be holy and hallowed by God. And so we believe that the day itself is holy, not that we are holy into coming into a day, but the day is holy. And so we worship, um, we try to, it's not restrictive. Uh, we try to not do the things that we would normally do during the week, um, such as, you know, cooking, going to the, to the mall, uh, shopping, um, you know, that type of working, uh, simply because we think that God wants us to have space for him. Uh, during this 24 hours. So the seventh day means that on the seventh day, which is Friday sunset to Saturday sunset, we call this day hallowed and we worship God every day, but we have a special affinity to this holy day that is only holy on this one particular day of the week. And the, the building that you currently have your your church in, so I gave it away, right? It's the synagogue. It's, it's, it's the same. It is a synagogue. I mean, this, this had been a synagogue in East Flatbush uh, for uh, many years. 1925. That, well, 1925. Yes. Um, and, and you you came into the building at what, what year? 1926. No, <laughs> uh, we, we came into the building in the 70s when um, East Flatbush, actually, this was a Jewish community. If you look at the history very well, uh, this is a historic site because of the architect, Peter Millman, who built three of these synagogues um, in Brooklyn. And so it for its historic accuracy, it, its beauty and its architect but also his place in history. Um, here was a potato farm. You have Rugby Village. Yeah. Here was actually a Jewish community. The Jewish community that left, you know, all moved to Crown Heights. And the congregation that was actually in this building, when we purchased this building, uh, they moved to Tel Aviv. And when I went to Israel, um, we visited that congregation. So really? glad to say that the, the funds that was purchased for this building from immigrants actually helped to build a synagogue in, in Israel. Oh, that's extraordinary. That's extraordinary. And be before uh, we went live, uh, I asked uh, Pastor Monroe to show me the, the front of the synagogue, and we would call it in, in, in Hebrew, the Bima, because uh, mm -hmm. it reminded me, I have been there. Um, you, you escorted me to, to the building a couple of years ago, uh, and it reminded me somewhat of the synagogue that I grew up in, uh, where my father was the rabbi up in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. uh, a number of, of similarities. I'm, I'm sure many of the synagogues that were built back then in the 1920s um, had, had similarities one uh, to right. the other. Um, but uh, I, I, I just... I think it's important to under, have a feel from you as to what you believe the role of faith is in community. And we talked before about the, the precinct council and your role there, but you're also a pastor uh, of, of a house of worship within a community. Where do you see the uh, extent of where faith impacts on community and your role within it? 
Yeah, and and so I I think that that is a great question. I, I just want to uh, pull. I actually have a real Bible too as well. I know in this morning age, uh, but don't get scared, everyone. I just want to read something that I think framed this question. Um, in the book of Luke chapter four, it actually speaks of Jesus uh, in Nazareth in the synagogue. Um, you know, taking out the Torah to read. And he was reading from the book of Isaiah, right, in the prophets. And he said that the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and I wanted to read it for you. And uh, he stood up in the synagogue on a Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And he said for, um, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he had anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He had sent me to heal the heartbroken, the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, in the King James Version. So, so everything that he did, Jesus did, Yeshua did, was always action-oriented to the poor. Everything that he talked about, and the gospel in which we talk about the faith that we have, what we do is out of my faith, right? If I see someone who has been killed, if I see failing schools, out of my faith, it's saying to me that the poor among us, that we have a, a moral responsibility to support those. And so the role of faith is really the bedrock of our community. Um, I think that the faith uh, deals with, with human uh, dignity. Uh, the faith deals with us as how we deal with one another. And our faith also have to push us to make sure that we challenge our governments. Uh, to do what is right by the, those that are disenfranchised. So the role of faith really and truly comes in a way that I would say that the great theologian John Stott said that Jesus, uh, he was not a politician, but whatever he did had political implications. It means that the faith touches the fabric of every part of our society as we know it. So how have you seen this pandemic, COVID-19, um, affect people's experience with faith, and where are we now? Yeah, um, it, it's, it's amazing to see um, uh, just how we are living in such a, a dark time in terms of just the world. We have passed, uh, 2,700 people died yesterday in, in America yeah. for COVID-19. Um, you know, you know that, that's, that's a bad place to be in terms of people who are leaving this earth. And so where we are right now is that we have a city in New York primarily who have, for whatever reason, not considered the church itself to be essential. When in the moment of when you look at every crisis or pandemic before in the world, people always have the, the faith to go back on, but not only the faith, a community of gathering, a place to gather. Right now, we have been limited. And so what I, what I find is that I don't know how history is going to uh, 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 re record this time, but I think that this is the first time that I've seen that we don't have a place to uh, congregate with our uh, those that we we love and we care for in a way that we would want to do it if we could have really come together to be able to pray, to cry, to share, to love, to touch, to feel. And so where we are right now is that we are very much so in a place that we have never been before, at least in my lifetime, of going through a pandemic and not being able to have the full arsenal um, of our church community or faith communities uh, operating at its highest point. Now, now, 
now, like I said, you know, Jesus, of course, and in, in who I follow, Yeshua, uh, did not have a place to stay. He did not lead a synagogue or, or, or a temple or he led, led a church. But he did the work, and the work was going outside the four walls and dealing to those that are poor and among uh, those that he lived among. So I think that where we are right now is that we have to find a way that we can really touch our people, feel our people beyond Zooms, beyond this online new world that we have and see how we can touch them in a safe way. So how has that uh, impacted on you as, as, a, as a pastor in, in terms of what you're able to, uh, to lead and to conduct services uh, uh, from, from uh, birth to death, uh, it, it must be exceedingly difficult. Yeah, it, it's a challenge, of course. I mean, you, you know, as a person, you know, I, I love children. I guess children love me too as well. I'm not sure <laughs> why, but uh, to be able to, to see the children and, and just have the energy running through this building. Um, on a Saturday, you have, you know, so many families coming to, to this place. This is all that they know. This is what they grew up in. Um, so for me, it's, it's been a challenge. It, it had also been the best year of ministry for me in a long time. Or ever, I would say, just because of the way that we have been dealing with the people, dealing with community, uh, being able to shine light in darkness. Uh, one of the messages and key themes in, in, in the gospel is Jesus, again, uh, talking about the comparison between light and darkness, salt. Salt is always a preserver. Light is always bringing to beam away darkness. And... Um, and, and so I think that, you know, when you look at, at, at all that we have in our life and all that we've been through, it's, it's been tough for me as a faith leader um, to, to pivot away from what we had normally known um, to be in a different role. So, um, you know, we, we work with what we have and, and uh, we still thank God that he has given us uh, ways to do so, whether it's through Zoom or small groups or whatever the case may be. Uh, through what's up and what you have. You just have to find different ways to reach out to people and touch people. Uh, and pivoting from uh, the, the spiritual to the political, uh, there was a decision rendered, as you, you well know, by the Supreme Court uh, pertaining to um, the, the usage of uh, houses of worship uh, and whether uh, they can be categorized as being unessential or essential, and how many people are able to uh, to attend services, etc. Um, how have you, or within your denomination, how, how have you related to that uh, Supreme Court uh, decision? And what role do you think government should be playing uh, in as impacting on on the faith community during this pandemic? So, so I think that the government should. You know, let's look at this the, the right way in terms of when you have a military and, and the governor or the, the, the president goes into to war or need to go into war, what have you, or, or with the pandemic, there's a group of experts who is around um, those that are leaving decision, whether the governor, the mayor, the president. And I think for the faith community too as well is that I think that sometimes we are used for convenience and not understanding um, ex exactly uh, used for convenience, but not understand exactly, you know, just where we we see ourselves in terms of of um, of, of being being uh, consulted, uh, not only being consulted, but also being able to be in those places of decision for the houses of worship. And so for me to get a note on a press conference that, you know, that we have to shut down again 
after you close your your your, your church or your, your your house of worship, it's it's really a situation um, that is disheartening for faith leaders to to try to follow the rules, to do what is right, and then not be able to have the ability to have a say in how what we do should be governed by by the state or by the city. So I, I think that politically speaking, in terms of our elected officials, uh, faith must has must have a, a role and a voice when it comes to whether or not our churches should be open. Now, this is a safe way, might I add, Rabbi Miller, um, but but I think that we should always have a voice. And and so I think that the Supreme Court made the right decision that that you cannot uh, 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 really uh, take a group of people, but for their faith and uh, decide that this is how they're going to operate without having, having them have a say in, in their own destiny. Thank you. Um, one of the issues which has been exacerbated during the pandemic is of course, the vulnerability of, of families and their access to food, uh, food sustainability. Um, what have you been able to do within your community? What actions have you been able uh, to engage in to, to help families uh, in need, particularly with regard to, uh, to, to their ability to uh, put food on their tables, feed their families. Yeah, so, 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 so I, one of the things that, um, uh, that I, I did not, I mean, at first I was like, you know, look at our lines. It was like, yeah, we had a long line. We're serving these individuals. And then it dawned on me that, wow, we are really in a different place right now. Uh, you know, we don't want to see food lines like we're in the 1930s or we're in another country. And so for me, it, it took a turn in, in my philosophy about food. Um, I think that in New York City, we have politicized food, giving away food and handing out food, that, that we need to bring back some dignity in how we serve people. And so what we did throughout, the, we have never closed our food pantry, I might add, and uh, we had a wonderful group of individuals and pastors in the 6-7 Precinct Clergy Council uh, who formed a wraparound service for individuals who wanted food, if they needed counseling, um, if they needed support, uh, if they needed PPEs. Uh, and uh, we surrounded those communities, about 15, uh, about 15 or so uh, in, within the East Flatbush area. But in my church particular, what we also set out to do was to help those who had preconsistent pre-existing conditions or who was, was high risk. And we provide, you know, uh, delivery services to those individuals and to help them and to, so that they, they could, you know, reduce the risk of having, catching the coronavirus. So I, I think for us, um, in terms of serving, we serve uh, with, with love. Um, for the past uh, six weeks, we did a farmer's market, the only farmer's market in East Flatbush that's free on a Saturday um, for about six to eight weeks, I should say. I don't know if it's six weeks or eight weeks. Don't 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 judge <laughs> well, me. I well, don't remember. <laughs> but but we provide so that people can have a a, a a a good healthy meal, especially with the virus. You need you know fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, being a food desert, of course, in 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 this particular area. So I would say that we we serve well. Uh, we did what we can do from March, and we are still at it now, serving the people um, of our communities. Are, are there food pantries uh, within the, your, your area, in, yeah. in your district, and are they fully stocked? So I remember one time I was telling my team that we were looking for rice and we couldn't find rice. We were going up and down. Um, so we went from looking for rice to having rice uh, to finding the essentials. Fully stocked? I would say no. 
Mm -hmm. um, but I would say that we do have a, a great group of uh, pantries in our community that is serving the need of the people. I think that we just need to change the way now of how we actually serve them and how we can find ways that the line to bring some dignity right. to our food pantry sites. Right. So you're about in the Christian world about to go into your um, holy time frame. And but we all went uh, through a wonderful experience last week with Thanksgiving. Um, how did the community deal with Thanksgiving and traditional family gatherings, uh, turkey, food on the table uh, during the pandemic when it was so difficult uh, to access food, let alone to pay for it? Right. As well as families gathering. Sorry. Yeah. Um, it, it was definitely um, different. We, we um, in, in Flatbush, in, in the 6th, 7th precinct, in the God Squad, we, we did about 400, 400 turkeys to families. One thing that we saw is that more families needed more because you had less um, gatherings. Normally, you would give the same amount to, to more people, right. but you had to give the amount to a small group of people. Um, for the most part, everyone, like normally that I know, like who just follow rules in life, said that, listen, we're going to tough this out and we're going to do what we have to do. No complaints. People was definitely sad that they could not gather in a lot of numbers and big numbers. But for the most part, in our communities, uh, people that I know that I touch, uh, that I serve, um, everyone, you know, understand the, 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 and took heed to it. There's a passage in the book of Romans, um, even though I don't totally agree with the interpretation, but because of this uh, talk and because of what we're going through, I'm going to go with it. It says that you have to, to honor uh, those uh, who are in authority. God, you know, put them in place and uh, to set rules. Um, even though I thought that they were talking about the structure in, in Jerusalem in terms of the church. But if you want to use that as governments, that's good. So a lot of Christians uh, follow the rule, you know, in, in the book of Romans, which is, you know, if you give Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give God what belongs to God. Well, talking about following rules, uh, one of the big problems that, have been, that has been plaguing New York City and other cities across the country is gun violence. Um, and despite the, the pandemic, when one would expect that people would remain uh, in, indoors and, uh, and, and not engage uh, in such violent acts, uh, gun violence continues uh, to affect us and, and impact on our communities. Uh, how many times Unfortunately, tragically, I, I've uh, received WhatsApps from you uh, to our, our group that we'll talk about a little bit later that traveled to Israel together uh, to the God Squad uh, regarding gun violence. Um, can you describe for our viewers the, the trauma and hidden effects of gun violence that, that you've seen that have been exposed uh, to you through the work that you've done? What happens to the family and the children and even potentially how we can all be uh, supportive of, of, of those families. And be, before you respond to the question, I just want to tell our, our viewers that uh, I know that you have been out on the streets, uh, whether it's every night or multiple nights, uh, just bringing uh, your, your special blend of calm uh, to situations uh, for, for years. Uh, to, to your great credit, as well as to the credit of, of your colleagues uh, within the God Squad. And so that is a role that I know that you do play. Um, but again, despite the, 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 the very effective role that you're playing, uh, the, the plague of gun violence is accompanying the plague of the pandemic. 
Yeah, it's um, gun violence, the new American epidemic uh, within the pandemic. And um, we, we saw that we were going through um, a pandemic and an epidemic. When you look at um, coming out of COVID-19, we just had a flurry of violence uh, that overtook the city from Chicago, Indiana, uh, Florida, the Virgin Islands, the Caribbean, uh, you can go California, you could just uh, name it Boston, uh, ju just gun violence on a whole, New York, you know, uh, you can name cities after cities, but they were all were happening in black and brown communities. Um, we were dying the fastest, we were dying the quickest for COVID-19, and uh, we, we, we were counted the lowest too as well in the census. So all the indications and also to um, a lot of COVID deaths too as well in those areas. The hidden effects is that, you know, no mother or father gets up one morning and decide that, hey, you know what, I have to be prepared that my son might not or my daughter might not come home tonight. That is, that is um, a pressure that families who are serving in the police department or in the military face. Uh, but just to have an average citizen because of where they live, um, because of the culture of guns and violence, uh, that they can get up one day and um, get a call that the son or the daughter has been shot and killed. And they're not prepared for that. A lot mm -hmm. of them, of course, um, are in lower income communities. And so the hidden effect is, what do you tell a mother? And I just spoke to literally to one today mm. uh, who have two young sons, uh, four and five, young father got shot and killed. Ah. Therefore, this young lady who is about 25 to fend for herself what do you do and what do you tell and how do you support a family like that? How do you help her get her degree uh, to go on and support that two young boys? So when the cameras are gone and when the lights are shut off, um, we, are, we are left to pick up the broken pieces of trauma in our communities. That's why I don't think that people understand the role of clergy with gun violence. Uh, what we do, we can't put it on Facebook, on Twitter, or speak about it because it is so it is so daring to us. It is so biblical. It is so um, moral, and um, the role that we do is not out of a place to get more funding or to look good. It's because of our faith, and that pushes us and leads us to where we need to go with those families. So families have to deal with how do you bury someone? You don't have the money. Uh, average funeral is about six thousand dollars, and if you want to do a burial site in New York City. Uh, you're looking at about thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars. People don't have the liquid cash anymore, so we have to figure out ways, creative ways, uh, through government subsidies and also through the goodness of people's heart, to be able to find ways to help that family bury their loved ones. It's a sense of dignity and pride for clergy to be able to do that. It's morally, it's moral to to do something so. So the hidden effects are just enormous. It's tremendous. It's a heavy weight. And we believe that the role that we're playing can really help and is helping in those families' lives. But it's definitely, to your question, um, different. It is difficult. As you said, it is hidden, but it's also so painful. Yeah, we appreciate that. And it's a real tragedy uh, that I think we should all do whatever we can to ensure that those, those families uh, can continue to live and live productive uh, life with, with a quality of life. Uh, I, I think that even that, that concept alone is something that we cannot do uh, by ourselves, but in coalition with others. Uh, you're an alumnus of the We Are All Brooklyn Fellowship of, of the JCRC um, and have worked very, very closely with the individual who inspired 
that that uh, fellowship, Rabbi Bob Kaplan, our director of a community of, of the um, Center for, for Community Leadership at JCRC, and as well as with uh, uh, Mohammed Razvi. So you have uh, Bob mm -hmm. Kaplan, uh, um, a Jewish rabbi, and and Mohammed Razvi as as a, a practicing. Uh, uh, Muslim, uh, South Asian Muslim from originally from Pakistan. Um, uh, talk to us a little bit uh, about the coalitional effort to uh, ensure the safety, security, and quality of life of everyone in New York. So, so yes, um, you know, Rabbi Bob Kaplan, um, you know, really and truly, when you talk about a mentor, uh, for me, has been uh, one of the greatest influence on my life. Um, uh, coming to New York City as well, uh, showing True We All Brooklyn many years ago, uh, trying to figure out what do you do as a pastor who is now coming into leaving school and come into this, this idea of leading in an urban city, right? How do you navigate uh, life? How do you navigate government? And, and living in an urban city, ministry is so different right now. And so you have um, a mix of Rabbi Bob Kaplan, Mohammed Razvi, who was Muslim, uh, when we would go on our trips to France or to Russia or to Israel with a, a, a whole mosaic of individuals <laughs> coming like the United Nations, people <laughs> always wonder like, you know, how all do you guys connected? Do you get along? Uh, there's always conflict between the Palestinians and the Israelis and the whites and blacks and Jews and anti-Semitism. And, and it's very simple. Uh, Rabbi Kaplan always tell me that I want my daughter to be able to walk home from school safe. And I think that you too as well, no matter what race, creed, religion that you are, want your son or your daughter to be able to walk home from school safely. And so if that is the case, then together we have to build a safe community, not just for me, not just for you, but for all of us. And so that's what the work entails, the collaboration entails, that we have to make sure that the others that we have among us that we remember what Jesus said, go back to him again, the least of these that you have among you, you have to keep your eyes and you have to support those. So, um, so that's where we are. That's why we do what we do. And that's why we support one another is because we have to live together in this community uh, that we call our home. And the way that you do that is that you have to do a true collaboration. Yeah, and I, I assume that the We Are All Brooklyn Fellowship um, kind of uh, drill down on, on, on that and uh, oh, yeah. a, a significant influence in your life as well. Um, but you spoke a moment ago about, about safety and there is no um, real safety w without the insurance of law enforcement. And uh, here it is, uh, you, you're, uh, you were the, the, the key to the 67th Precinct Council becoming known as, as the God Squad and relationship with NYPD uh, community police relations is, is really a very important issue today. Um, uh, in a previous conversation, you said to me, and this was something we heard um, after the murder of, of George Floyd uh, about defunding the police, the Black Lives Matter movement, defunding the police. Uh, and and you, you said to me, it's not defunding the police, it's refunding the police. What do you mean by that? Well, refunding our community, I, I meant. Um, so, so a year ago, um, we, uh, clergy, along with Reverend McBride from Live Free USA um, out of Oakland, uh, we met in Queens, at Life Camp in Queens, 
Um, and we were discussing that we wanted the presidential candidates, Democratic presidential candidates, to agree uh, to float the idea that uh, just about $700 million will be given to black and brown communities to deal with the violence that we face. This was before defund the police. The, the, the reason, and, and I know that President Obama chimed in on defund the police, and, and uh, what you find is that people get caught up in the term as opposed to the essence of what it's supposed to do. So, so the, the refund is like you have, of course, tax the government refund you. We were saying that the government can definitely uh, fund peace, uh, give to urban communities where you have the highest levels of gun violence, like just like you do a bailout, uh, bailout for, for banks, a bailout for, for small businesses. Our community needs a bailout. It needs a refund of the monies that we give um, at the highest level of the tax bracket to be able to refund us so that we can do the job that we need to do. So if we get caught up in the terminology of the defund, I think it will take us away from the actual work that needs to happen. And the work that needs to happen is that the federal government, federal government, I'm saying federal government, not just New York State, New York City, the federal government, just as you have uh, $2 billion of federal money, it was just about, I don't, can't remember the, the particular figure, who's going to those uh, companies to produce the vaccine uh, for coronavirus. Uh, we need a vaccine too as well uh, for gun violence. We need an antidote to the violence that we have. And one of the quickest ways to, to, to get to the, the, the poisonous influence of the violence that we have in our communities is by refunding us some money um, that you would spend on the military that we don't need. Uh, refund us some money that you're spending on the Pentagon. Pentagon. Uh, those are things that we need. We don't need really much more F-15s or F-35s or F-45s or bombers or stealth bombers. So I would, I would want to use the word from one of our colleagues in D.C. and say that we need to be refunded. Yeah, well, uh, what's important to us in the Jewish community, because we view ourselves as being highly vulnerable, as you well know, you have st stood together with myself, with Rabbi Kaplan, among many others in the Jewish community, um, uh, against anti-Semitism, particularly the spike in anti-Semitism that we experienced just, just a year ago mm -hmm. with um, a hor horrible uh, incidents, in including a murderous incident in Jersey City and, and during Hanukkah uh, up in Muncie, which ended up with uh, the murder of, of a rabbi. Um, uh, so the, the police uh, law enforcement is very, very important to the Jewish community and stamping out not only uh, anti-Semitism, but also racism. So how, how can we together, uh, the Jewish community, uh, the Black community, the Black Caribbean community, uh, how could we together join forces to stamp out through this vaccine that you're speaking of, uh, but a vaccine of, of communal effort uh, to er erase um, once and forever uh, the, these uh, levels of, of hatred, of communal hatred? Yeah, you, you, you can't have a community that is invisible to you, um, that are crying out for help. Um, you know, you can see it just in the um, school to prison pipeline um, that the grades of third graders are used to develop um, how many jail cells are being um, provided in upstate. So you can go into any courtroom um, in America, you could go into any courtroom in Brooklyn and you can, your heart will be broken. Me as a young black individual who goes into court to advocate for young people, 
I'm always saddened by the revolving door that we see. I'm always saddened by the fact that the way that the society deals with the poor, and, and I'm not talking about the middle class, I'm talking about the poor, that Jesus talked about the poor, those that are disenfranchised. I think that we have to stop divesting in our communities. And the way that the, the Jewish community and we have worked with so many different communities dealing with anti-Semitism, uh, one of the things that, the, the beauty about it is that those murders, sorry, not only the murder, but uh, the, the, the crime is not going unanswered. They're being triaged. Uh, I know that the governor for New York State had floated the idea of $25 million for security. Uh, we, we would like $25 million to as well starting point uh, to help, uh, you know, nonprofits and houses of worship to rebound. You know, one of my colleagues, uh, Reverend um, Bishop Finlay, I've had mentioned that before, who was with us um, on our Israel trip. So we can, when we talk about reimagine, that's a new word now. We, we, I don't know if we need to reimagine, but we need to definitely do some rein. Um, and one of those rein is that we need to reinvigorate ourselves to the common cause of helping the poor. And I think that is lacking. So we, we have done good work around the anti-Semitism. Uh, we will continue to uh, push the fact that all of us should be able to live in peace and live among one another. Uh, and so I think that we are committed to do that job and committed to work to, to make sure that we live in, 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 in a way that, that is pleasable for all of us to be dwelling together. Thank you for that. Um, just share with us it, what your relationship is as a pastor in, in your church in East Flatbush uh, with surrounding uh, Jewish communities. Are there, there points of collaboration? Are there points of tension? Um, or is it pretty much um, everyone lives their own lives? No, no, no. I, I think that... Um, <laughs> If you look at it, any time in history, um, Jewish, the Jewish community and the black community always live together. Um, so that is number one. Number two, um, as I've said before in the summer, um, is that people commit crime where they live. So if you have uh, 100,000 African-American Caribbean, if you have 95,000 Jewish community, um, Jew, Jew, people in the Jewish community living in the same place, you are going yeah. to find some crime committed because people live in the same, you know, I've been called a nigger by, you know, a young black man, I've been called a nigger by a Jewish young man, uh, one time driving up in Crown Heights. And, um, you know, it's, 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 the, it's the fact that people just look at you and, and if you look at them too hard, they wanna have a word with you. <laughs> um, so, so people commit crime where they are and where they live. I believe that um, what we can do moving forward to just say this in terms of, I know the question that you asked, but to, to be able to, to, to look at the fact that once we agree in terms of collaboration in East Flatbush, that we have in common the same goals and the same goals mean that I don't want anyone fight. I, I have a synagogue, right? If you go, if you pass to, to the outside of our temple or our church, you can't really tell if you don't have a good eye that it's not a synagogue anymore. So I don't want someone to mistakenly firebomb my church or to shoot up my congregation. Right. And so for the sake of the sanity of all of us in where we live, we must do together collectively to speak on anti-Semitism, but also to we want our brothers in Jewish community and the Muslim community to also stand with us on the issues that affects us the most, which is one of those, which is gun violence for sure. Thank you. Um... You and I have, have known each other uh, quite a while. Rabbi Kaplan knows you a little bit longer. 
Um, but right after you finished your 2008 fellowship, uh, you traveled with us on a uh, trip to Israel. I believe that was your first trip. Am I right? Or were you there before? I was in 2008 was my first trip. Right. The first time with JCRC on an Israel yeah. mission. Um, and you have been there quite a number of times subsequently. Uh, the one that we're so grateful to you for, uh, and we referenced it a little bit earlier, is in two, January 2017. Uh, so we're talking just a couple of years ago, only right. four years ago and two months. Um, we took a group of uh, 11 pastors that you organized, uh, most of them from, from Brooklyn, and I, virtually all of them having some uh, Caribbean uh, heritage um, on a just a life-changing uh, trip uh, to Israel, not only for the pastors, but for Rabbi Kaplan myself and uh, Noam Gilbord, who did a lot of the uh, the, the organizing. Um, it, it, it was quite an experience. Um, so, and then you reference as well your travels with Rabbi Kaplan and with Mohammed Razvi and um, to Israel. Uh, how many times have you been there and, and how has this connection uh, with Israel uh, influenced uh, you and the work that you are doing as well as what you hope to, to continue to do in the future? Yeah, so, so Israel is always a, a special place for us as, as Bible-believing um, Judeo-Christians. Of course, you know, I have mentioned before over and over again, um, I use the term Jesus or Yeshua. Uh, to place him in the right place. He was Jewish. He was born um, in the Middle Eastern region, born, uh, raised in the Holy Land in Nazareth. And so it, it's for us, it's something that is more biblical than even political or, ge or, or geographical in location. We're not just going to Israel uh, because we want to go to Israel. We're going to Israel because this is a biblical mandate for us. This is where our life and the words that we live and breed this is where all of the action take place, quote unquote. And we want to relive the moment of time uh, that the Bible so uh, clearly states. And so we want that vivid imagination, that color to bring into our preaching when you can actually see and stand on the, and not stand in the Sea of Galilee, but at least <laughs> be in the boat in Galilee <laughs> or eat on the shore of the Galilean, the Galilean shore and, and to really traverse um, uh, Israel vast lands. Um, so I've been there four times now. Four times. Um, yeah, last year I, I went with, um, well, sorry, I've been there this, this year, sorry, um, in January, just there in January. And it, it is always my hope to uh, take um, a, a group every year. I know Pastor Charles Galbraith, uh, Pastor um, uh, um, from Baraka Church. Right, John Pierre. Uh, yeah, yeah, Pastor Murray have been taking um, individuals, you know, back to the Holy Land. Um, it was great. It was, it was, it, I think it was life-changing for all of them um, to, to come. And I think that too, as well, you know, the, the organizers that want me to, to bring pastors who had big churches and churches that they heard of, I told them, <laughs> no, <laughs> you want to take pastors who we know, <laughs> pastors who is on the ground, who is going to be able to capitalize on this. And, and I think since that time, we have taken over 500 people to Israel. That's just between, incredible. Between 2018 and, and, and 2020, uh, right. I, I would say it could be over 500. Mm -hmm. And so we, and, and we love that. Why? Because there are one gentleman in my group who wanted to go to Israel since 1974. Wow. This was the first time he kissed the ground and he said, wow, 
what a beautiful place. So we have seen stories, people's life have been changed. Uh, we went to the tomb and we saw the tomb that was empty. And we know the resurrection power of Jesus Christ was so true, so meaningful to us that we had an opportunity to witness what I witness witness. We got an opportunity to witness this ourselves. So we love the fact that we have the collaboration with you and JCRC. Thank you so much for that program. I don't know who funds that program, but whoever funds that program, you need to continue to fund that program because I want to tell you, you have changed lives forever. Thank you. I think I'm going to cut that clip and make sure that I send it to the funder to, to know uh, what your, your feelings are about the trips. We feel very much the same way. I mean, you referenced going to the garden tomb, but uh, aside from that, what for you were some of the additional highlights? Uh, and because we have uh, just both uh, Christian viewers and, and Jewish viewers, we want everybody to travel to Israel. That's um, right. What What is it about Israel or where is it in Israel that you believe people should go to see? Yeah, so uh, go to see, yeah. So you need to see everywhere. That's number one. Um, <laughs> you, you have to take LL, definitely the online <laughs> experience. That's number one. And uh, when you touch down, uh, you, you need to stay. Um, you need to visit Tiberias, um, that city. Uh, you definitely need to visit Jopa. I had wanted to do my, and this year, just so you know, I celebrated my 20th year anniversary in Jerusalem. And wow. uh, Bob Captain was so kind and Pastor Wayne Moore was so kind to, um, uh, you know, perform our ceremony for Dan and myself. And we were very happy. We wanted to do it in Jopa, um, but we could not do it looking over the Mediterranean, the, um, the most peaceful neighbor that Israel have. Um, but we, we didn't have the opportunity to do so. But definitely the Jordan, um, uh, the, the, uh, the Red Sea, um, sorry, the Dead Sea is also a good place to as well. We went to the Jordan River, the real Jordan um, this time, you need to go and see the Jordan. Jordan is right on the other side. And we were able to be in the Jordan. Not so chilly and not so cold, right? Jordan <laughs> River. <laughs> um, so that's always a wonderful place. Nazareth was good too. Mount Pesapis was also a good spot so that we could actually see when Jesus was tempted coming out of his fast. It gives you a bit, and then you can see uh, the valley, uh, what some people call the Valley of Jehoshaphat, but you have that grand valley. We, we um, refer to it as the uh, Valley of Jezreel, Yisrael. Yeah, they the Jezreel Valley. Wow. And the Jezreel Valley was beautiful too as well. Uh, you, you probably can go under the old city and do the underground tour. Um, definitely you have to go to the Western Wall, the Kotel, right? The Kotel, um, the Kotel. Yeah, the Kotel. That, that is definitely an amazing place. And just walk. You got to go to the market again on Saturday night and uh, enjoy the music. And I won't tell you the rest of it. I won't tell you the, uh, the hotel sustain. You have to figure that one out yourself. Right. Come on my trip and I'll tell right. you. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I hope that everybody gets an opportunity to travel to Israel. If you're lucky, you could travel to Israel together with, with Pastor Gilman Rose. Um, we're going to uh, issue uh, another thank you, director, thank you to our sponsor, but I want you to please think about what message you want to, to, commit, to convey uh, to our viewers and particularly to our, our Jewish community. So I'll give you a, a pause to think about what it is that you'd like to add. And in the meantime, uh, let me spend a little bit of time uh, thanking uh, the Free Synagogue of Flushing for sponsoring this and uh, all of our other programs of Community Relations Corner, other episodes until now and moving forward. They serve the Reformed Jewish community in uh, Queens, New York, and their historic century-old uh, synagogue. 
visit freesynagogueflushing.org to learn about their a wide array of programming and beautiful sanctuary. Uh, and again, Pastor Monroe, their sanctuary is something to behold with their stained glass windows, their social hall, and their meditation garden are available for rental for special occasions. Visit freesynagogueflushing.org to learn more about their Shabbat holiday services, weekly Sunday school. Once again, freesynagogueflushing.org. And as I always do, give a shout out to their president, Ed Schauder, who's a member of the Jewish Men Relations Council Board of Directors, their executive director in Cantor, Alan Brava, and their rabbi, uh, Jeffrey Gale. And to thank as well my production team, uh, the, the three Gs from JCRC, Noam Gilboard, Rebecca Grossman, and Jennifer Glick. And now I'm going to turn it back to Pastor Monroe uh, to get the last G. word before I thank everybody for participating. And I'm the fourth G, Gil. That's right. So, <laughs> listen, like, as I said uh, before, we are better together. Um, there, is no, there is no escaping you know, our communities from one another. There's no escaping from our faith. We, we are bonded by our history when you look at the history of Judaism, when you look at the Judeo-Christian values, <clears throat> it's all founded and coming from the same lineage. Whether you believe that Moshiach or Jesus or Yeshua is coming back now or he didn't come back already, the, the point is that we are connected and we are bonded by some of those principles of understanding uh, what we should do and how we should live through a person or through a set of rules and guidelines, or set of instructions that was left by us, by those who were before us. Um, whether it's in the Torah or it's in the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament to the New Testament, or the Tanakh. So I think that we are better together. There is no need for us to be divided from ourselves. Um, because when you look at the Creator, and when you look at how God or Hashem has put us in this world, we are human beings. You can hear me. You can see me. We were made in the image of God, not because we have two eyes and a nose and a mouth and two ears. No, in the image of being able to create, solve problems together. Be able to, to look one another and say, listen, I affirm you because you are part of God's creation. And so whether you're Jewish, you're black, you're white. My thing for you is that we have to make sure that we give love a chance again in this world. And I think that if we can do that, we'll be all right. Thank you again. Uh, thank you so much. And I, I really, one other thing before I, 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 I give my, my uh, more intense thank you to you um, is that people are going to be looking at, at your lapel uh, pin <laughs> and wondering what it is that is that I asked you that before we went on, on air. So do you want to tell yeah. people what it says? It says pray. <laughs> pray every day. Pray for our country. Pray for our nation. Pray for our mayor. Pray for a governor, pray for one another, pray for those who have guns or who don't have guns, pray for the rabbis, pray for Rabbi Miller, pray for JCRC, just pray so that God will have his way. Thank you very much. And we're very prayerful and very thankful, uh, highly uh, grateful for Pastor Gilman Rose to have joined us today on Community Relations Corner. It was truly inspirational, uh, very, very uplifting and uh, we thank our audience for participating uh, together uh, with us and uh, look forward, Pastor Monroe, to having you back again some, sometime uh, down the road uh, on Community Relations Corner. 
but for now, again, our, our heartfelt gratitude. I'm Michael Miller, and uh, we look forward to seeing you again on a future episode of Community Relations Corner next week. We, we have Deputy Inspector Molinaro of the, of the Hate Crimes Task Force of NYPD, somebody who uh, Pastor Monroe knows uh, uh, very, very well. Look forward to seeing you next week and on future episodes as well. Uh, shalom to you all. Uh, and have for those who are observing Shabbat, but whether you're seventh day or whether uh, you're, you're, you're Jewish, uh, Shabbat Shalom uh, this coming Friday night. Be well, everybody. Thank you.